Well, we have Apostle Dale with us to bring the word this morning, so when you're ready, let's turn our faith on and be expecting. You know, the message is greatly affected by the hearer. Maybe you didn't know that, but the ones sitting in the seats greatly affect the, the draw. If you put a draw on the anointing. So be expecting to hear a word this morning that will change your life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Got two scriptures. Let's jump right into the book of Psalms, verse or chapter twenty-seven, verse thirteen. Some of you may not realize David and Charlotte were foundation stones in this church, and uh, an early part of the DNA when God did what He did, and only the Lord can take credit because what started as a small prayer group exploded into a large group of people who were either hungry or hurting. And the, the scary thing is when Terry and I began, by the instruction of the Lord, to establish a church and pastor this group of about, I don't know, at that time about 200 people. We didn't know but about three or four of them. And uh, it was a very unique situation because one of the things that has always been very, very uh, sensitive on our heart for Terry and I was, is the children. And how do you take care of all these children where you don't know the parents, you don't know, I mean, literally didn't know people. And uh, I think the very, what the Lord told us to do is start having dinners with the people that were coming. And I believe David and Charlotte was the first couple that we had dinner with. And uh, the Lord immediately spoke to our hearts that we could trust our children with, with them. Charlotte became the first uh, children's leader for the, the church. And for that, I will always be eternally, eternally grateful. And uh, amen. And the Lord rewards us. He will, is not, the Bible says, he's not slack to remember our sacrifices and our service. Amen. He is a good God. Yes. Oral Roberts made an entire ministry just out of that phrase that something good is going to happen to you. And I know some people might not even know who Oral Roberts was, but I had, to, I had the, the good fortune of sitting in front of him one time about this far away. And when he said something good is going to happen to you today, I, I mean, it just went through you like electricity. He's a good God. Well, something good's going to happen to you today. Today. Here in Psalms 27, 13, he says, I had fainted. You could say, I would have given up. I would have quit. Anybody in here besides me ever want to quit? Ever want to faint? Ever want to turn in your resignation? Ever want to look the other way? Ever want to say, you know, this is just not it? Uh, Stop the world, I want to get off? Well, apparently King David as well. I had fainted unless I had believed to see And you have to do it deliberately. This doesn't just happen to you. You have to deliberately decide to believe to see the goodness of the Lord. Where? Where? Say it with your own mouth. There's something about religion that likes to postpone things. 
Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not obviously going to take anything away from heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. Heaven is... Okay, you know the song, right? Or maybe you've never heard the song. Some of you are looking at me pretty weird. I grew up with that song. <clears throat> so we're not taking away from heaven, and we have loved ones who live there. And there was a period of time in American Christianity when young men were coming home in body bags from World War II that you had to talk a lot about heaven. And, and tragedy and all of those issues of life that we face are weighty, they're important, and they're real, but they should never displace nor replace the reality that God's in the now. God's in the now. And he, he wants us to recognize his goodness on a daily basis. He daily loadeth us up with benefits, the psalmist says. Daily. Amen. And so here, I would have quit, I would have fainted, I would have given up unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What brought me out of religion was the reality that the gospel works that you can actually see results, that God answers prayer, that when you sow, you receive, that when you walk in love, love never fails, that when, when you put yourself into God's divine purposes, you begin to recognize he created me for a reason, and you begin to reach Areas that you didn't even know existed and your experiences uh, uh, just expound and exponentially. And, and as Jen was saying, you begin to recognize that there are gauges or indicators and that joy and peace can abide and can be the standards instead of something far off. I mean, God wants us to be what uh, uh, Dima Shakirian used to say, is the happiest people on the earth. Amen the happiest people on the earth. And we recognize that happiness is, is the stimulus from the moment that it's based on circumstances, but, but it's, it's still happiness, right? And that when we don't have that stimulus or we don't have those events that make us happy, we still have joy. Yeah. Amen? So we get it all. <laughs> we get it all. And this goodness in the land of the living leads us right into what the, uh, came about with the ministry of Jesus. Let's look at Mark 1 as an example. Called the gospel. It's good news. It's not bad news. Whenever you're facing bad news, look for good news. Uh, uh, Jim was referring to a friend of mine that, that uh, Alex Chorney works for us in Ukraine. He's, our, he's my assistant over there. He texted me a couple days ago and he said... Uh, Hey, I need to talk to you. We have a problem. So I texted back and says, no, we don't have problems. We have solutions. What do you need? It's, it's all on how you look at it. I always, I always go back and forth with Alex that way. And, and, and yet it's an important principle. Good news. When, you, when you're given bad news, look for the good news. Why? Because I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So the doctor's report comes in. And, and you've got bad news. All right, what's the good news? Whose report are you going to believe? You open up the bank statement at the end of the month and you look at the bad news. 
You've got to look for some good news. You have to deliberately make a choice. You see, whatever you accept as inevitable is never going to change. And it might be right there, that phrase might be the best thing you can take away from today. Whatever you accept as inevitable is never going to change. Or at least, at very least, you're not going to have a part in the change. Whatever you accept is inevitable. Don't accept it. Just because it's bad news doesn't mean good news doesn't exist. It just means you might need to turn the TV channel. Boy, isn't that true in this day. (laughs) You just might be listening to the wrong channel. Uh, I mean, our experience proves that out. People have a, a reason to emphasize things. What is it that you're emphasizing? Mark 1 1 talks about the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And really, literally, that's, that, that's what happened at his birth and when he came into the, into the world. The good news about Jesus Christ came in with him. How many of you know that Jesus uh, wasn't created? He didn't start in, in Mark 1 1 because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is actually that creator we're, we're looking at when we read in Genesis, right? We understand his divinity, his eternity. The, the, he, he's, he's been from before time and before that point in time and before that point in time. He's eternal. But yet in Mark, he entered into the earth to where he could relate to us and where we could relate to him. Whereas John said in 1 John, we could actually touch him and feel him. We saw him. We heard him. They experienced Jesus. Well, what was it? What was this experience? It was good. It was good news. And it brought change in every area in their life. In fact, in Mark 1, what it, what it talks about is that it brought a new doctrine. Last night, Terry asked me, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I'm going to come up with a new doctrine. Kind of scared her for a little while. It's a new doctrine. And Jesus came and he brought what many people called a new doctrine. So as we, as we look down, let's go down to verse 22 of the same chapter. Because Jesus had said earlier in verse 15, he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Turn and believe the good news. Turn and believe the good news. I, I don't want to simplify it to the point of, of taking advantage of you or, 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 or being uh, um, trivial, but I think sometimes truth escapes us. Repent simply means to turn, all right? So if you're, if you're using the word repent in the sense of sin, it means stop sinning Turn the other direction, go the other way, right? If, if you're dealing with anger, you need to repent. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. You need to turn from anger, and you need to, to begin to move in and walk in love. In fact, the greatest thing that will destroy and put out the fire and the flames of anger or revenge or bitterness or jealousy is the love of God. And you can always, and we've all dealt with this struggle many times, We'll experience these, these sinful passions that grab a hold of us, like anger. I dealt with it as a teenager. I would say no to anger a thousand times, walk down the street and be angry again. And I would, I would fight it again. And I thought my re- resolve, my will, was going to take anger out of my life. I never understood that I had to repent. 
That doesn't mean, oh Lord, I'm sorry for anger. Repent means to turn. So here I am dealing with anger, saying no to anger. 30 minutes goes by and I'm angry again. The problem was I wasn't repenting, which I finally got a hold of it through Kenneth Hagin's talking about the love of God. Here I am in anger with this person. I need to repent. I need to turn from anger. And I have to love the one I'm angry at. And that just chaps the devil off. That's repentance. Because you just turned it. And you can do it in your thought life. You can say, I'm not going to think about that. And you can resist it and say, I'm not going to think about it. Go out and clean, clean the kitchen and you're thinking about it. And you say, no, 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 I, I'm, I resist that. In Jesus' name, I'm not going to think about that. In Jesus' name, I'm not going to think about that. And go out and mow the lawn and spend 30 minutes thinking about it. Until you repent. Which means you have to f- replace that thought with a greater thought. You've got to turn. So in the same way, if you're going to repent and believe the good news, you are turning away from something before you're embracing something. If I'm going to repent and believe the good news, the first step is to stop believing the bad news. You've got to get away from the bad news. Oh, you're never going to amount to anything. If someone ever said that to you, you need to repent. What what, what do you mean I need to repent? You need to repent from that death sentence that you're never going to amount to something and get out there and build dreams and begin to do something intentionally. Don't allow those words to frame your life or who you are. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Now, I know, and this is why I was trying to preface this. Some people say, oh, but, but Jesus was calling them to, from a repentance of sin to believe the good news. But that's not what he said. I know he doesn't want you to go out and live in a life of sin. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to end up stewed in a life of sin if you don't understand that you've got to repent and embrace the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of God. It's God's goodness in getting caught up in his glory and caught up in his purposes and caught up in his will. Everything else becomes pretty trivial and just falls off. Amen. So the new doctrine. Let's get into the new doctrine. You ready for a new doctrine? So he went down and he's preaching all this. And he came in verse 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine, which just means teaching. What you're getting today is doctrine. Uh, For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, there's a couple ways you can interpret this. And I think think because of the King James and some of religious tradition, we really translate it in our minds incorrectly. Later, it becomes crystal clear and in in Luke's gospel also. But if you just read verse 22, you know, he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. you got two options here. Jesus taught like the guy who knew it was true. He had the confidence factor, right? That's kind of how I used to always believe that's what it meant. He's the one who had the goods. He, he taught them as one who had authority, so he's the expert on the subject, right? He's the one who can say it like it is. Not like the scribes, because they were mealy-mouthed, and they were, you know, they didn't, they're, they're more like, you know, my experience in religion. And, you know, they just kind of 
him hot around with, well, this is what I think this Bible verse means, or this is my opinion, you know, and they're, so they're weak and they're watered down. That's one way to look at it. Second way to look at it is he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes, meaning the scribes did not teach whatever it was he was teaching. And that's a little bit more closer to the Greek. He taught them as one who had authority. The scribes did not teach that you have authority. And I grew up in religion, in the evangelical church, in a, in a, in a denomination that did not teach that you had authority. And the, the message of the believer's authority is sadly lacking in the church still today. But you do have authority. And if you're not aware of the authority that you have, you're not going to exercise or use the authority that you have. And we all have authority in different spheres of our life and in different levels. Because authority, if you just flip it, is a different word called responsibility. You have authority over your children. That's one way to look at it. But if you flip it, you really have responsibility over your children. And whatever you're responsible for, you have authority over. Amen? And you deal with authority all the time in your life without thinking about it. The other day I was in a little cafe, I guess it was two weeks ago, and uh, both, I was talking to a guy I'd never met before, first time I met him, we're, we're, we're having coffee. So we're drinking coffee, look, looking uh, across the table at each other in this little corner booth. And we, we decided we weren't going to order because it was like mid-morning and we, weren't, we just weren't going to order anything to eat. But all of a sudden this waitress walks up with two plates of waffles and eggs and it just looked and smelled really good. And she, I mean, she just, matter of fact, brought them to the table and had them in front of us, and we both looked at each other. I'm, you know, I'm on Atkins. You better believe I, I looked at them waffles and that <laughs> maple syrup, you know, and everything, right, all the right. And she's, and, and, oh, no, no, that's not ours. Just because it gets delivered to your table, you don't have to take it. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a light example. But you just exercised authority because that's not mine. I'm not going to eat it, and I'm not going to pay for it. It's not mine. But yet, if in Christianity, if it was a thought, most people would have swallowed it and paid for it. Just because it gets delivered to your table, you don't have to take it. Just because some stray dog wanders into your yard, you don't have to open the door and welcome him into the house. He, he doesn't belong there. You know, you, you yell at him, you kick him, you throw a rock at him. I'm sorry, that's what we do in the country. Some of you city folks never threw a rock at a dog, dear Lord. And, and we're going to, you know, you don't belong in my yard. Get out of here. But, but, but if you're a Christian, you know, and, 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 and disease and sickness and death and fear and thoughts and habits, they all come walking right into your yard. You, you, you just kind of say, oh, well, uh, you know, Welcome. You want to come in and see the house? You want, to, you want to get your dirty paws all over our new white carpet? Come on. Here we are. How long are you going to stay? You, you, you don't rise up and say no and chase them down the street? Amen. See, you, you have the, the, the power to resist if you choose. They were astonished. But see, they were astonished at this. So whatever he taught them was astonishing. Well, let's keep reading. There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, 
A foul spirit is a better translation. Evil spirit. And he cried out. Right in the middle of church. Can you imagine that? Let us alone. What have we to do with you, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? So whatever Jesus was teaching really scared the demon in this man. He thought he was going to be destroyed. Well, Jesus said, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. And the devil always gets nervous in the presence of God. I know early on in my ministry, I had different people that uh, didn't like what I was preaching. And I got all insecure and wanted to cry about it and everything until the Lord encouraged me and said, that's just because the devils don't like what you're preaching. Just leave them alone. He said, I know you who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus uh, was real kind to him and patted him on the head and said, oh, please, please, sir, I, I just want you to understand me better. Is that in your Bible? Well, how come it's in your life? Oh, shut up, is actually what it says in the Greek. Hold thy peace is a real simple translation. Jesus didn't really say, hold your peace. He said, oh, shut up. And he rebuked him. Oh, shut up and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit or the foul spirit tore him, cried with a loud voice, he came out. All right, so Jesus cast this devil out right in front of everybody, right in the middle of the church. Can you imagine? And they were all amazed. So they went from being all astonished to being amazed. Watch what they said. They were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, which, by the way, was the way that they taught. Their classes were always questions and answers. They questioned among themselves. I don't think this actually hap happened right there on the moment, not right Johnny on the spot when he cast the devil out. It, this may have been in the breakout sessions or the next day. It's what they did in a process. They were all amazed. They questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? Now notice, what new doctrine is this? So it wasn't just that Jesus was confident when he taught and the Pharisees were not confident when they taught. No, it's the subject matter. Do you see this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even, even, even foul spirits, which means there's other things he commands. Did you get that? He even talks to devils. He even commands foul spirits and they obey him. I'm telling you, this dog comes into your yard, you tell him to go away. You don't welcome him into your home. And just because thoughts come into your mind, why, why welcome them? Why not put your foot down and say, no, those aren't my thoughts. You do understand that they're not your thoughts. You do understand the entire advertising industry is built on putting their thoughts in your head. There are thoughts that come into your mind that are not your thoughts. You buy Tide because somebody brainwashed you. It's the truth. You accepted a thought from the outside. Oh, you're never going to amount to anything. That's not my thought. 
Some, that's somebody else's thought. That's some dog wandered into my yard and that thought is not allowed in my house. Oh, you're not going to make it. Your business is going to go under. Whose thought is that? Did that thought come from outside? Even if it came from inside, it may have come from something wrong on the inside of me. I'm going to filter my thoughts, gauge my thoughts, watch the indicators of my thoughts on a standard called the Word of God. Because the Word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if I've got a thought, I can't do this, and i got a scripture that says I can, which thought am I going to think? Well, you have to repent from the thought, I can't do this, and you repent and you turn to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's repentance, not saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry I had a depressed day. No, no. Repentance isn't I'm sorry. Repentance is turning and embracing the opposing point. All right? And I'm going to have a joy-filled day. When, you're, when you want to be depressed, but you determine you're going to have a joy-filled day, that's repentance. Right? So Jesus said, with authority to this demon, he said, shut up. That's one of the first things you need to learn in your authority is to tell the devil to shut up. I don't know about you, probably all of us, if we went through the room, I don't think I'm exaggerating, but probably because it's typical, the devil's just typical. He has limited arsenal. Probably everybody in here has experienced a, a, a point in their life, either physically or emotionally, where they felt like the devil came to, to, to them, sat on their shoulders and says, you're going to die. I've had sickness, I've had diseases, I've had situations, you know, you're in near car accidents, you know, near death experiences, and the devil just comes and sits on your shoulder, you're, you're going to die. Well, that's what he, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So, so right there, what do you need to do? You need to say, oh, shut up. Oh, shut up. But now that's still not enough. Because you need to turn and repent and embrace. I will live and not die and declare the glory of God. I, had, I told you this story where I had a guy meet with me and another diplomat from an embassy in Ukraine. And he's all nervous and he's all uptight. And we're sitting in this corner. You know, we literally put our, our phones in what are called Faraday bags and then packed them down so that nobody's eavesdropping on us and he's you know looking around and he explains to me he'd, he'd been offered $30,000 to kill me and I'm like okay <laughs> and he tells the whole story then and, and, I'm, and I'm just sitting there and he says he says, he says I'm, I'm not lying this is true and I said I believe you and he says but you're not even reacting and, and I said, yeah, I don't die easy. Yeah. <laughs> but see, I learned that from Norval Hayes 30 years ago. I don't die easy. See, you've got you to gotta have something that is really repentance. You've got to turn the tide. Because if you accept it as inevitable, it will never change. See, I, I, that dog comes into my yard. I'm not saying there's not a dog. I don't go out on the sidewalk and say, there's no dog in my yard. There's no dog in my yard. I don't believe in dogs. Dogs are not allowed in my yard, but there's a dog in your yard. 
No, you chase the dog out of the yard. Get out of my yard. It's my yard. You ain't getting any further. You're not getting further into my house. Right? Resist it. Because the beauty of it is resist the devil and he will flee from you. If he's not running, you're not resisting. But even in that verse, you got repentance because it says draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. you you've got to have it on both sides. But this resistance, this authority was a new doctrine and these scribes and these Pharisees were amazed because he even speaks to spirits and they obey him. Well, they obey you too if you talk to them. Well, I just had a bad day. That's not enough. Don't just have a bad day. Stop it right there. Well, I just had a bad day, but praise God, I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's a miracle on my doorstep. Praise the Lord. I wonder, I wonder when I wake up how much money is going to be in the mailbox. I just want to run to the mailbox to just see how much money's in the mailbox. Glory to God, my mailbox is full of money. Amen. <laughs> All right. Let's look, look, let's, let's look down here. I'm going to give you six things biblically, because some of you are still looking at me like a cow at a new gate. Here, Jesus talked to devils, right? Well, I, I think then we have a pretty clear line, alignment that if Jesus spoke to devils and it was a teaching, why would he teach them unless he wanted them to do it? And I could spend all afternoon giving you the scriptures that were to do what Jesus taught or to do what Jesus said. You need to embrace it right now that if Jesus did it, so should I. So that means if you encounter a demon spirit, you should speak to him. Years ago, I'll give you a simple example. Years ago, uh, we were contacted by a large church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They had a pastor there from Argentina, and we had relationships with some Argentines. And this guy had been dealing with a homosexual lifestyle all of his life. He'd gotten into ministry, and he got married and was pastoring, I think, in Texas, and, but still off and on being pursued by these demonic spirits and falling into sin and living in this homosexual lifestyle and then back out in, 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 in repentance. His wife, God bless her heart, went through hell uh, on and off, accepting him, taking him in, helping him. And finally, it got to the point where he'd gone to this church in Tulsa for them to cast the devil out of him, and they could not. Sounds biblical. And they actually called and, and said, can, we, you know, can you help this guy? We, we don't know where, where to send him. And I said, send him, send him to Titusville. Sure, we can help him. So he came into Titusville. The boys were, I don't know, still pretty little. I imagine we hadn't gone to, to Russia, so Ben would have been maybe 12. And uh, we cleaned up one of the rooms. We're going to have him in a little guest room for a couple of days. So he comes in, and we have dinner. And, he, and he's really humbled, and, and he's seeking God. You know, he's been through all this sin. And, uh, you know, he's hurting. And we get him ready, you know, going to go up the stairs to his bedroom to spend the night. And he's walking halfway up the stairs. And, he, and I said, well, I said, have a great night's sleep. Sleep peacefully, wonderfully. And uh, he turned around on the steps, and he says, he says, I don't, I, don't, I don't sleep well at all for years. 
I get woke up every night with these dreams. I haven't had a good night's sleep. I can't remember when. And I said, oh, shut up. Nightmares are not allowed in this house. No bad dreams in this house in Jesus' name. And he just was all startled. He didn't know he wasn't allowed. I'm not making this up. You can't make this crazy stuff up. He slept till 10 in the morning. He, he got up. He, couldn't, he was astonished. He was amazed. Yeah. Just say no. Somebody says, well, I can't sleep. What, Pastor, what, what do I do? Go to sleep. The Bible says he gives his beloved sleep. Yeah, but I can't sleep. Believe you're asleep. I lay there in bed, close my eyes. Thank God you give your beloved sleep. And I'm asleep. And I want to scratch my nose. No, I'm asleep. <laughs> Sleeping men don't scratch their noses. You say, well, that's stupid. Yeah, but I sleep all night. And I learned there's a switch there in my faith. And I, I, I honest to God, one day maybe we'll do it. I think I could probably go to sleep standing up. Because <laughs> there's a switch. I'm not going to do it now. Praise the Lord. All right. So here you speak to demons. But look here in, uh, let's go over to Mark 4, verse 39. Just show you this. He was sleeping in a boat. The boat starts to sink. They came to him. And he arose out of sleep, wiped his eyes. He arose and rebuked the wind. Now, and he said to the sea. Now, who's Jesus talking to? Is he talking to God? Is he, is he praying and talking to God? Be honest with me. He's not, is he? He's not. Now, I'm not preaching that you don't pray. Don't, don't go out of here and miss what, what I'm saying. Get what this is saying. He didn't stand up in the boat and say, Our Father... You're faithful, and we're afraid. And I don't know, Lord, but, but as this tempest has been cast upon us, we realize that perhaps the ends of our lives is near, but we've lived a full life. It's been good, oh God. Should you, in your infinite wisdom and your sovereign will, dis desire to extend upon us your gracious hand of favor and still the, the sea that we might live <laughs> and remember I have children? And they need their daddy. That's not what he did. Where'd we get that stuff? Too many TV shows with Barney Fife and Gomer Powell representing pastors instead of John Wayne's and, 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 and whatnot. Right? No, he rose up and he didn't pray. He rebuked. Did you know you can talk to the wind? Did you know you can talk to the waves? Well, in this instance, these are physical, weather-oriented elements, and he said, peace, cut that out, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he said to his disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. They were more afraid of him than the wind. That's pretty cool. 
And they said, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Amen. So we, we have Jesus rebuking an evil spirit. Because why? With authority he commands. And even the evil spirits are obedient to him. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we've got demons, we've got wind, we've got the sea. Flip over to Luke 17. Luke 17. Let's look at verse 6. Jesus, let's in fact look at verse 5. You've got to read 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, I mean, even if you have the smallest amount of faith, you might say, under this sycamine tree, be plucked up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now, again, did he say pray to the tree? Did he say pray about the tree? What did he say? He said, he said talk to the tree. Learn to talk to your problem. Why? Because you have authority. Sickness and disease are not allowed in my house. Why? Because the book of Psalms says that. No plague shall come nigh my dwelling. No plague. But you've got to say it. And you've got you to rebuke, and you've got to tell everything to the opposite to shut up. No plague is allowed in my house. In Jesus' name. So here we've got Demons, the wind, the sea. Now he's talking to trees. Let's look in Luke 4. I'm just giving you biblical examples of what and how Jesus acted. Luke 4, look at verse 39. Otherwise, you, you, you won't see the power of this new doctrine. <clears throat> Luke 4, verse 38. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon Peter's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. Now, you do understand, back then with no antibiotics and everything, fever kills people. You do understand that, right? And he stood over her, and he prayed to God. He didn't, did he? Now, I'm not against prayer. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of times we just don't see this. He didn't pray at all. From what we have here in the biblical record. But see now, how, how we approach it, aren't we instructed to do the works of Jesus? Wouldn't it fall to reason that we would do the works of Jesus the way Jesus did his works? Right? Yeah. I, I want you to understand it. I know in my own life I've experienced failure because I've been too busy praying about it and pushing it off on God when God's been wondering, why haven't I been dealing with it? Whatever's in your authority is in your authority. And we don't have time, but you can go back and read the story of Moses standing in front of the Red Sea. And he cries out to God, and God responds and says, why are you talking to me? Why ask me about it? What do you got in your hand? And Moses said, I have a rod. Well, then use it. 
Don't pray to me about this Red Sea. Don't pray to me about your problems. You got the rod in your hand, use it. Go back. Some of you, again, looking at me like a cow at a new gate, go back and read the story. You've got the authority. You need to use it. If you don't use it, you can pray all night long. It isn't going to fix the situation. And if the woman has a fever on her life, rebuke it. No, you don't, fever. Oh, no, you don't. I remember in high school, I played football, and I bunged up my knee, hitting too many football helmets straight on with my knee. And I, and I had, had the first arthroscopic operation in Titusville, and, uh, you know, which isn't saying much. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, when I left, I remember the doctor gives you this negative statement. Well, you know, when you get old, that knee's going to blow out. You know, probably about the time you're 40. And that's what he told me. Well, I'm 56. But I remember in uh, about 10 years ago, 15, oh Lord, almost 20 years ago. How's that happen? I was walking in Moscow and I took three days. I think it was three. It might even been four. And I went to every metro station in Moscow. And I just walked every morning from I woke up in the morning and I walked until late at night. And I was marking off all these metros on a map. And I, and I was walking up this one, uh, up these steps out of this one metro. And all of a sudden, my right knee just, it just quit working. You know, I never, no, no real pain, no real, you know, uh, uh, warning. But just all of a sudden, it just quit working. And, and I'm, and I'm all three-fourths of the way up this uh, escalator that's broken. It's not working, so I'm walking on steps. And I got up to the top to get out of the way of the press of people. And, and I'm like, fear all over you. Fear, you, you know? So when a dog comes in to your yard, you better deal with the dog that comes into your yard. And fear is a spirit. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is an entity, a personality, a spirit. You, you deal with fear the same way you deal with a stray dog. You have to recognize, the Bible says fear is a spirit. Amen. Some of you need to meditate on that for a long, 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 long time. Fear is a person in the spirit, an entity. So fear came on me, and you got to resist it. You rebuke it. I'll get it in Jesus' name. I'll not be afraid. And I put my hands on my leg. And I said, I command you to work in Jesus' name. Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. And I was there about five minutes. And people walking by me, thank God, you know, I wasn't too embarrassed because I'm speaking English. And I'm just going to sit there and have a conversation with my knee for about five minutes until my knee finally decided I'm going to obey him. Amen. Amen. And I'm not going to take it any other way. I'm going to talk to that knee until it obeys me. And, and, I, and I continued my walk. And I've been continuing to walk for 20 years now. I'm just not going to let my knee disobey. Amen. I'm not going to let your kids disobey. You know, why, why let your knee disobey? So, well, I, 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 I don't know if I could do that. Yes, you can because it's in the scripture. He, he stood up over that fever, the woman, and he rebuked the fever. And what happened? It left her. It obeyed. So we recognize that authority commands. Now look in Matthew 16, because now I'm going 
I'm going to really teach you on the hard one. All these are easy. Matthew 16. Karen's daughter used to have uh, these horrible warts on her hands. And uh, so here, it's just not right. You know, you got this real pretty girl with real ugly warts on her hands. But she learned the secret. And you talk to warts. You say, you can talk to warts? Yeah. Curse them. Command them to leave. You're not allowed on my body in Jesus' name. I command you to leave my body. And they will go. They will go. And they left. I had this... uh, Wart on it, just below my kneecap. It was really weird. And I'd pick at it, and it got bigger. So I had this real big button. I mean, a, a button right, right, right on the lower part of my kneecap. And I cursed that thing. You know, I'd, I'd look down at that. I'd say, I curse you in Jesus' name, command you to fall off. And sometimes I'd just grab it and play with it. Because it's big enough, you know. But you've got to keep speaking to it. Somebody said, well, how long does it take? Who cares? I don't know. For Abraham, it took 20 years, but he still had his baby, and thank God he did. Right? See, Kenneth Hagin said, when you're ready to stand forever, it won't take long. But, I mean, what are you going to do? The whole measurement of time, who really, who really cares? Because if you quit, you're not going to win. Right? So you might as well keep standing. If you're going to sit down, you're not going to have your victory. So who cares how long it takes? And I don't know how long it took for this particular work, uh, but uh, it's a funny story. That's why I want to tell it. But probably more than a year. Yeah, a year. And, and I can't say I'd curse it every day, but certainly every time I saw it or every time I, it bugged me, you know, you try to kneel down in the church and it hurt when I'd kneel on it because I had a button on my knee. I curse it. I say, I command you to come off. I command you to come off in Jesus' name. And then, by the Spirit of God, I'm sure, my wife bought a bottle of virgin olive oil that had a cork just like it was a wine bottle. And it's this expensive virgin olive oil. That was back when the first time it started being popular to take these little spices in a little dish and you pour olive oil in them and stir it up. I don't, yeah, is that even, anybody even still do that anymore? Oh, it was like everybody was doing that. And she bought this expensive olive oil, and, and, and so we, we have to find a wine thingy, you know, with a corkscrew. And so I'm, I get that thing in there, you know, like I know what I'm doing, and I'm like, I can't get the cork out. It's just stuck in there. So finally I put it between my feet, and I got both hands on. I'm not, this is not making this up. And I'm in shorts. <laughs> and I reef on that cork, and it goes, poop, and the corkscrew went right by and sliced that little button right off of my leg, and I looked down and says, it's gone. <laughs> I mean, as clean as any doctor could do it. Never grew back, nothing. I don't have a word on my leg anymore. And you say, oh, that ain't God. Well, I don't care. My wart's gone. You can think what you want to think. I cursed it and it's gone. Because whatever you accept is inevitable. You're not going to change it. Don't swallow it. Now, the hard things really aren't warts. 
The hard things, oh, I mean, people, we started with demons because everybody thinks demons are the hard thing. Let me clue you in on devils. They're already defeated by Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and they know it. So, no, the, the devils aren't the hard things. I've had, I've had people, I don't know what it is in Christianity, they always want to even put demons in ranks, you know. Well, homosexual devil, that's the hardest devil there is. Well, yeah, the big black ants are harder than the little tiny red ants. Okay, but you can still step on both of them. <laughs> I mean, you can measure them if you want, and you can find scriptural abilities, but the Bible says we are far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Right? Half of people's problems with devils is worrying about them. But the devil's more scared of you than you are of him. It's like city folk out in the country. We used to always make fun of them because they were afraid of everything that made a noise. I took a kid from the city out camping one time, and in the middle of the night, some deer came by and snorted. Did you know deer snort? You know, when a buck snorts about 15 yards away from you. I mean, a little boy peed his pants. He's so scared <laughs> of a buck. Oh, what if we meet a bear in the woods? You'll see his hindsides because he's going to be running from you. Bears are more afraid of you than you are of them. Same with demons and devils. Amen. So to, let's talk. How much time do I have? Oh, praise the Lord. I love it. Uh, let's, let's talk about the hard things. And that's going to be your thought life. Here in, in Matthew 16... Let's look at uh, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and he began to rebuke him and said, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now I can see Peter trying to be, and I've learned a few things. I've walked on water. <laughs> This ain't going to happen. We're going to pray. We're going to fix this. Don't worry, Jesus. You're not alone. We're not going to let this happen. There's a God in heaven. Did you know it, Jesus? And we're going to pray. We're going to change this. And you're, you're worth more than that. Don't, don't think these things. All right? So we know Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about reality. There's a certain misuse of faith in the word of faith. That, that has twisted, the Bible says, call things which be not as though they were. And some people want to call things that are as though they are not. And, they, and that's wrong. It's in reverse. Romans says, call things which be not as though they were. It doesn't say call things that are as though they are not. The tree still exists, but you speak to it and you command it to die, and it withers up from the roots. You, you don't stand around a tree saying, I don't believe in trees. Nope, nope, no tree here. I don't see no tree. Right? But some people, in word of faith, because they've twisted that backwards, they got it wrong a little bit, and they'll say, no, I'm not healed. Or, I mean, no, no, I'm not sick. No, no, I'm not sick. I'm fine. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. Let's see, that's not faith. We'll just turn around. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. And this disease has no right in my body, and I don't tolerate it, and it's not staying, and it's going, it's on the way out. I am not 
going to allow it to rule over me. My body obeys my voice. See, you got to speak to the problem, not ignore the problem. Amen. And I say, well, is it, is it a lack of faith to take medicine? Well, if your faith in your medicine, that would be a lack of faith. But you can take medicine with your faith in God. I mean, do you eat food? You do realize there's nutrients in your food? You do realize you're able to walk around because you ate food? I mean, if you're facing God, you should stop eating, dear Lord. You don't need to eat your face in God. No, that's, that, that'd, be, that'd be silly, wouldn't it? But if you eat right, you're going to be healthier. That's medicine to your flesh. God's not against medicine. In fact, he said laughter is the best medicine. Amen. So just take your medicine and thank God for it. Thank God for the wisdom of science. Thank God these vitamins are working. Thank God this medicine is working in Jesus' name because disease is not allowed in my body. Just keep your faith in God. It's not that hard of a big of a deal. Somebody says, well, I don't want to take that medicine. It might be a lack of faith. No, you're already in confusion. That's what you need to sort out. I mean, if God tells you to throw the medicine away as an act of faith, then God told you to do it, then do it. Big deal. Relax. Take a chill pill. <laughs> but just simply, I'd resist the devil every way I can. Every way I can. <clears throat> So Peter said this to Jesus, and Peter turned and said to Peter. Now the Weist translation brings this out in verse 23 when it says, But he turned and said to Peter. In the King James, you would think that he turned to face Peter, but that's not actually what the Greek says. Weist translation brings it out. He turned his back on Peter. He literally turned his back on Peter. And said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He just called Peter the devil. I think Jesus was a bit less religious than people think. Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me. For you savor not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So Jesus rebuked the devil, he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the waves, he rebuked trees, he rebuked a fever. He didn't pray about any of this. He rebuked it. But more importantly is he rebuked thoughts, opinions, outside uh, uh, interjections, interdictions into his mind. Why? Because whatever Peter was talking about was an offense to him. And he did not savor the things that be of God. I mean, you don't have a taste for what God's up to. And he turned his back on him and said, get behind me, Satan. Amen? I was at a nice restaurant in D.C. the other day with a journalist and from Bloomberg. And uh, this guy is real, real, uh, he, he wants an interview and he wants information on things that are going on in the news right now. So he says, you know, hey, you know, live it up, order from the right side of the menu. My boss is paying, you know, which is Mr. Bloomberg. <laughs> he, he says, so you don't want him to win. I know you don't want him to win. So take some of his money. <laughs> He's laughing, you know. So I did. I had a really nice meal and a really nice restaurant. And then they come up with the 
a tray of desserts. But see, I've been prepared since I was young by other older, wiser men how to deal with this kind of temptation. And this nice, young, pretty waitress brings this plate loaded with poison. <laughs> and boy, it looked good, you know. And I just smiled, and I, and I said, uh, no, no offense towards you, but get thee behind me, devil. <laughs> and the Bloom, Bloomberg reporter snorted something out of his nose. <laughs> he, he laughed so hard. Well, I don't want that. I don't want to eat that. Well, I, something in me wants to eat that, but I don't want to eat that. But, but it does look really, really good, you know, and... But I don't want to eat that. But I'll bet it tastes really good, too. And, you know, you're walking a lot. And, you know, today especially, you already got your 12,000 steps in today. And, 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 <sighs> if you can't resist cake, you're going to have a hard time with some of the harder things in life. You've got to learn to talk to cake. Jesus, he spoke to demons. He spoke to the wind. He spoke authority command. It's a new doctrine. Authority commands. He spoke. I don't know. Maybe you think I'm crazy. I speak to my wallet. I speak to my bank account. I speak to the problem and command it to obey me. How dare that wallet be empty? I like plump wallets in Jesus' name. Fat wallets that don't even close unless you squeeze them hard. Fat wallets that hurt when you sit on them in Jesus' name be full. <laughs> Speak to your problem. Now, in the thought life is where the devil will kill you. Because the doctor will come in with his report. The banker will come in with his report. You'll get the bad news. But it's the, it's the second wave of enemies that come in in the middle of the night and you're laying in bed and you wake up and your mate's asleep and you got tears running down your eyes because you don't want to die. And your head's so full of thoughts like machine gun bullets and your belly hurts because you've been living with fear all day long. You better learn how to talk to thoughts. And you better get out of bed and you better go into another room if you don't want to wake somebody up, and you better open your mouth out loud because for some reason, when you try to do it on the inside and you're under attack, you usually lose. you got to shake yourself and say, no, my Redeemer lives, and I'm going to live too. No, in Jesus' name, I'm not going under, I'm going over. No, I may go through the river, but the water will not overcome. I may be going through the fire, but it's not going to kindle a flame on me. I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm walking through. I'm getting through this. I am a believer and not a doubter. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My body was made in the image of God, and this body is the temple of God, and anything that comes on this body is going to worship 
God. And devils don't worship God, so out you go. Sickness and disease does not worship God, so you don't belong in my body. Get out of my body. I am not going to lie down and let Satan get glory over what I've determined is going to glorify God. I will live and not die. I will declare the glories of the Lord. I remember His goodness. And you got to say it. you got to rebuke the enemy. And he will leave. I say, well, what if he comes back? Then do it louder. I'll never forget one old lady in Meadville, Pennsylvania. She heard me preach this 30-some years ago. And for the first time in her life, she got free from arthritis and depression. And she got up in front of the church and was testifying. There I was in, ho- in the house, you know, and, and, and the kids were still there. And she's got, I think, a married couple of her children, you know, and she's dealing with depression and arthritis. And this onslaught came on her. And she said, so I just did what Pastor Dale said. I went to the front door of the house and I opened the front door of the house and I said, get out of my house. And I waited until it left and slammed the door. You're not allowed in my house. She said, I think my kids thought I was yelling at them. Because <laughs> I did that one time. I was a teenager dealing with suicide and depression. I'm driving down the road. I got tears running down my eyes. I'm, gonna, I'm, just, gonna, I'm just gonna end it. I'm gonna commit suicide. And I'm dealing with all this battle in my mind, and I realize it's a battle. It ain't me. Those thoughts are my thoughts. So I pulled the car off the side of the road. I got out of the driver's side, walked around to the passenger side, opened the car door, looked into the car and said, Get out! Slammed the door, walked back into the driver's side, got in the car and drove off and left that dumb suicide spirit laying there on the side of the road. Amen. Well, I didn't die. And I've done funerals of those that have. They took their life. They didn't have to. Thoughts are the hardest. Because you think it's you. Because you think it's right. Maybe my time has come. Um, no, the Bible says live until you're satisfied. I don't have any problem if you're satisfied, but I doubt you are. You know, you get some old guy and he's in his 80s and he's seen enough and, you know, it's time to go. Yeah, I'm done. Goodbye. E.W. Kenyon had dinner with his daughter and said, I'm going home this afternoon. She thought he was getting senile. He just went in and laid in bed and said, goodbye. Went on home. If you, if you want to go on home, go on home. But if, you, if the Bible says... With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And there's a bunch I ain't seen yet. Amen. Don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied with leftovers. No, he said he'd make a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Praise God. See, there's more fight in you than you realize if you just stir yourself up. So, so the devil, he, he barrages us so much that then we just kind of lay down and we say, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. Wait a minute, why would you even say that I don't know? Because you do know. Well, I don't know what to do. Stop saying I don't know what to do and do what you know to do. Quit lying about it. I've had people tell me that. Well, I don't know what to do. Yes, you do know what to do. 
Right there, you're already trapped in this, this downward spiral. Oh, I don't know what to do. People, people fighting you know, habits and sins and addictions, and they'll come to me and they say, well, I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. Quit lying about it. You know exactly what to do. You just ain't doing it. Stir yourself up. Say, I do know what to do. I will rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. And start doing what you know to do. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, tests, and trials. Just start bellering. Jesus is the Lord of my life. That's all you know to do. That's enough. Amen. Peter didn't have time to, to make a long confession. He just said, Lord, help me. And, and he was sinking. He's walking on the water. And he sings. You know, faith is now. And he'll pull you up. He will bring you up. Let's go back to Mark 1 and we'll close. Thoughts. Are the most difficult because it takes the energy to replace them. I really want to get this across. It has been the greatest help in my life. You are the master of your thought life. You can watch a horror movie. Are you going to have different thoughts than if you watched a romantic comedy? I mean, it's really not rocket science. You just spent two hours watching a horror movie. You're going to have a certain mood, a certain theme to all your thoughts. You're going to turn on all the lights in the house. And you're going to be spooky, right? Or you can watch a romantic comedy, and you're going to have a different set of thoughts, a different mood, and a different theme. And you're going to turn the lights down because you feel romantic, and you want to light a candle because your wife's there. and Well, how come when you watched the horror movie, you didn't turn the lights down and light a little candle? <laughs> Who did that? You did. You're the master of your thought life, and you need to take responsibility for your thought life. And you need to turn off certain channels in your life, and you need to turn on the channels that you need. Right? I mean, i got to stop watching Animal Planet. It just makes me hungry. <laughs> I love those cooking shows. <laughs> Discovery, Animal Planet, National Geographic. You've got to make jokes here because it's the only way to stir people up from being too serious. Right? You determine your thought life. So... I've gone into hospital rooms where people are in dire straits and they're watching soap operas. I'm not preaching against soap operas. I'm preaching against being foolish when you ought to be focused on something else. For your own good. I know how to help you so you don't die. And the first step is to take authority for it. And say, no, I'm going to live. I'm not going to die. And the first time you say it, it'll be a whisper. It'll be faint. It'll be weak. And you probably won't even believe it yourself. So say it again. I'm going to live and not die. And say it like you mean it until you get mean when you say it. Yeah. Well, you mean I should get mean? Oh, yeah. 
Some of you are not mad enough at the devil. Oh, no, you don't, devil. You're not running my business in the ground. Oh, no, you don't, devil. You're not ruining my marriage. You better get mad. Hello? Quit, quit inviting and being passive. Norville Hayes used to say, I think it's in the book. Paul can correct me because I know he's read it more than once. But Norval Hayes would say that, that you can't, that, that nobody died of cancer who talks to their cancer. You have to talk to it. Didn't Norval say that in that book? You, gotta, you can't, hmm? It's, and not nice either. Yeah. What was that? What's the name of that book? How to Live and Not Die. That's the title. I love that book. You have any? I figured you did. You still give them away. How to live and not die. You're alive. Yeah, Paul's alive because of this principle. I watched him speak to his body. How big was the... It was the size of a baseball, wasn't it? They were just going to let it alone because it was out of hand. Foul thing. But your body obeyed you. Eleven years ago. In 08. I don't know about you, but that just sends goosebumps up my spine. I mean, it's right there. Poster child of a miracle, the doctor said to him. 10.30, I want to speak to the sun and the moon. Let's stand up. First church I pastored, Terry and I were so young. I was 20. Can you believe it? And I think the first service we had 18. The next service we had 16. Because one old man and his wife met me at the door and said, We won't be back. We We don't want a young fellow like you doing our funeral. I thought... I don't really want to perform a funeral anyway, so I'm not really going to pursue this one. (laughs) But it made me mad. And I stood up, and I didn't do it deliberately. I did it by the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not telling a story now. The Lord told me to say this. And I know the timing of the Lord and the love that He has for all. And I'm I'm emphasizing this for all of this. Paul is a tremendous example. But I stood up by the Spirit. You got to understand, even though I was 20, I think most of what I said back then was by the Spirit because I didn't have anything else to say. Because I was young and empty and dumb. I didn't have any stories to tell. So I told other people's stories and, and, and the Word. And out of my mouth, I found myself saying, you are not allowed to die in this church without my permission. I thought, that's just, I couldn't believe I said it. There was an old man in that church, Francis Deschner, was 70 when I was 20. But Francis had been a missionary down in South America and he'd actually been used to the Lord to raise the dead. I mean, he was a man of faith. And I'll never forget, 20-some years later, 
I don't remember how many, but it was more than 20 years later. Francis is now in his 90s, and he's in another church where I visited and I preached, and I saw him come in on a walker. It took two people to help bring him in. And, and after the service, he waved to speak to me, and I came over, and he was sitting in the chair, and he grabbed my tie, and he pulled me in, like, real close. And he said, Pastor, I need your permission. Never forget that. I said, are you done? He said, yes, sir. I said, go on home. And he died that week. Authority is real. And you have authority. You have that authority, Shirley. When, when our brother said you were supposed to be here today, I, I know and you know this message is a lot for you, but it's, it's for all of us. I mean, it, every message is, right? It's the Word of God. But you've got to fight in you. You have authority, and you have the ability to command. And yes, we're with you, and yes, prayer works and accomplishes. But God wants to bring about victorious moment a breakthrough moment uh, uh, there's an end to this attack an end in Jesus name amen and we have authority over our finances, over our family over your children over little babies who will do the work of the Lord will not fail to do so faithfully in Jesus name Father this body is a body this is not a gathering this is not coincidence this is not religion this is not tradition but a living organism the body of Christ is in this room and this body is a healthy body and everyone within the sound of my voice comes under that blood, is redeemed by that covenant, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and we are the healed. And we prosper, and everything we put our hands to prospers. And we're full of life. There is no cancer in this body. There is no diabetes in this body. There is no arthritis in this body. There's no weakness nor disease in this body. There's no HIV virus in this body. There, nothing but the glory of God in this body in Jesus' name. There is salvation here. Glory is here. Freedom is here. Joy is here. Peace is here in this body in Jesus' precious name. Glory to God. Well, shout to the Lord if you believe it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. One way we love God is by fellowshipping downstairs real quick in Jesus' name. Terry and I love you. We'll see you. Merry Christmas. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International. We're so glad that you're here with all of your family this morning. I'd like to encourage you in the worship, our worship and our time together. You know, worship is ministering to the Lord. Do you ever think about it that way? Yes, ma'am. Worship is, is it's ascribing value to God. 
uh, you're telling him you're almighty, you're powerful, you're worthy. You're making him big and everything else small. That's worshiping. And when you do that, that's ministering to the Lord. The word says that the Father is looking for those who will worship him. Do you want to be found? <laughs> we do, right? We want to be found of the Father. So if we put ourselves in position, and, and right now is an opportunity corporately as a family to come in and minister unto the Lord, and that's what we're doing. What we do is we bring the word because he said, I'm looking for those who will worship me in spirit and truth. We know that the word of God the living word of God is the absolute truth. You can't get any better than bringing the word of God into your worship. So let's stand up together as we look over some of the word. Let us enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Let us be thankful to him and bless his name. Let us praise the Lord, singing praises to him and worshiping him, giving him worth. Our God is wonderful and consul, and our God is wisdom, understanding, and strength. Our God is excellent in working. Our God is mighty to deliver. Glory be to God forevermore. Hallelujah. Let's let our, our tongue give him worship this morning. Amen. worship him, the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our soon coming King. Father, we just thank you this morning. Our hearts are filled with gratefulness and joy and filled with the peace, the Prince of Peace. Father, we're so grateful for your presence to all of us your only begotten son, Jesus. We're grateful, Jesus, for your willingness, obedience to come to the earth, to be born on a day with a destiny and a plan in your heart that one day you would lay yourself on a cross and suffer a horrific death, shedding your blood, knowing that it was for me. And that shedding of the blood brought redemption and brought covenant and dominion back to the people on the earth, your people, and right relationship with your Father, our Father. <laughs> we are so grateful, Lord. We have so much to be thankful for, so much to be filled with the joy of the Lord for. We know that that kingdom has come within us, that righteousness right before you, right standing before you, Father. We know that Jesus in the shedding of the blood took away all the sin that we might stand before you righteous. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so thankful. Our hearts are so filled with thanksgiving. Father, that your presence brought each and every one of us a present that we can live out each and every day of our life. And you gave us the Holy Spirit as our helper. So we're not here left alone. We're, we have great support 
great help. And we're thankful, Lord. We're so thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Just say that from your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Make him so big in your life. Think about what he's done for you. Give him all the glory and all the praise. He's so worthy of it. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Well, one way we love God is by loving one another. One way we thank God is by thanking one another. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor this morning and tell him you're glad you're here. Well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this morning. I'm going to read to you scripture from Psalms. It says in Psalms 37, verse 4, says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. So what I had this morning in my heart was just to, you know, we have a world out there that's just pushing us constantly to fear or to trust in something other than the Lord, trust in something natural. So it's really important that you come in here and you hear some faith, that you get reminded that we're to trust the Lord, that he's our provider. And stir yourself up in that. Don't wait till you come in here, but we're going to continually put you in remembrance of this. And one way that we demonstrate this is with the tithe. When we return the tithe to the Lord, we're recognizing him as our provider, And when we do that, we want to make sure we're releasing faith. You know how your car has gauges? Everybody, you know, check on the one that has a big E and an F every now and then? (laughs) Well, gauges are important. They're indicators. So when we talk about faith and releasing faith for God to provide and finances and things, there's two important indicators that reveal our faith level. That's joy your joy level, and your peace level. I'm going to read a verse out of Romans quick. It says Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, some say through faith, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Do you see the connection? Joy and peace. Connection to faith. So there's no such thing as being depressed, worried sick, completely down in the dumps, and still full of faith at the same time. The two don't mix. So they're just indicators where you're at in your faith. And if you're like, well, that's me. You know, I've been completely out of joy. I've been completely out of faith. Well, it's just get to the filling station. Get into his presence. Turn on some faith preaching. You know, get into his word. Make some adjustments. Remind yourself what God has said. Has he said it? Is he good for his word? Has he not said that he, his eye is on a sparrow. Not one sparrow falls without him knowing it, yet you are more valuable than many sparrows. You think he can take care of you? Yeah. Absolutely. Has he not said that there's blessing for the tither, that he opens up the windows of heaven for the tither, and that he rebukes the devourer for your sake? Amen? Yeah. So let's release our faith as we return our tithes to him. Let's expect that he'll do what he says he would do, and let's remind ourselves we don't trust in our jobs. We don't trust in money and income and, you know, everything else. that We don't fear our eyes on the Lord, all right? Let's take a hold of our tithes and our offerings. Let's pray. 
Father, we're so grateful to you that we're not on our own, that we can rely completely, 100% on you, that you're faithful to your word to perform it, that you're good for your word, that your promises are true. And we just return our tithes with joy and our offerings with joy to you. And we thank you that the windows of heaven are open to the tither and that the devourer is rebuked. In Jesus' name, and amen. All right, the ushers can pass the baskets. And probably wondering, where's Pastor this morning? Well, for those of you, um, sorry, I got to change here. He is in preaching, he's actually preaching yesterday as well as today, and he gave me an update. He wanted me to let you know that it went well. Yesterday he had a really long day, like about five hours of of preaching. Um, It was, he actually only had about 20 minutes of content with each sermon, but because it was being translated twice into two different languages, so everything was getting translated twice, and... He said it went well. At the end of the second meeting, it got a little tense because they didn't like that sickness is always part of the curse. But it ended well. He said, we had great meetings. Minds are being changed. Destinies are being answered. Truth is prevailing. They are a really hungry group. And then I had um, asked him later, you know, what, what you want me to say to the church this morning. He said, tell them the update. And tell them that their prayers and their financial investments are shaping the future of the people in this region and watering a desert place. I cry as I write this. If only they knew how very accurate those words are. So, you know, the messenger is not greater than the one that sent them. And so you've had a part in this and part of kingdom work. Troy, I think you have, before we, we have Apostle Dale with us here this morning to bring the word, but before we do that, Troy, you want to bring your friend up? We have someone here that needs some prayer, so I'm going to hand the mic to Troy. Good morning, everyone. This morning, there's a friend of ours, her name is Charlotte Rissler. Some of you may already know her. Um, I, I sent her a message during the week and told her that the Holy Spirit had told me that she needs to be here this morning, and she needs to be here specifically for prayer, and that I know that all of you believe that the Lord can do great things. He can heal. He can do signs and wonders, and we believe that. We know that, and if you're ready to see the power of the Holy Spirit work today, if you're ready to see his fire fall down upon us today, right now is a great time to make that happen. And I'm asking you, please, if you would not just stay where you are and put your hands forward, but lay hands on Charlotte, if Charlotte, you don't mind us doing that, from right, right where she is. So if we could all get, gather around her, those that, of you that are ready and believe, let's do that, and we'll all pray. If you have a word of prayer, please, we'll pass the microphone around. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for being in our midst. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power, for your might, for your glory. And Lord God Almighty, we thank you for being able to, not just able to, but being willing to and ready to answer each and every prayer that we have. We pray now that the power of the Holy Spirit would fall down upon her, fall down upon her in a mighty way, and that the healing that she needs in her body would take place right now, right here, at this time, 
For by your stripes, Lord Jesus, she is healed. We know that from the top of her head to the soles of her feet and everything in between. She is whole. Every cell in her body is made whole. And everything that would be made making her, her, her ill or feel sick or wrong in her body would be gone in Jesus' name. Lord God, we thank you for, for her willingness to come this morning, for her willingness to be here and to obey what you speak, Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, that there's this reason for her to be here, and we know that by your stripes she is healed. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Where several weeks ago you spoke that now is the time for miracles. This is the day for miracles. Well, this is a day for miracles. And we look to you for a miraculous healing in Jesus' name, in Jesus' holy name. Lord, you know this couple. They have served you many years. They love you and you love them. They're not done. They want to serve you more. And I pray strength into each of them that they may encourage each other, that they may pray for each other, that they may stand in the name and the blood and the stripes of Jesus Christ for your healing power to be revealed in her body in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, that we have victory in Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our King. He is our healer. He is our provider. And you, Lord, love them. So encourage and strengthen by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you again for your promises. We thank you again for your promise of healing. We thank you again for your promise of whatever we might ask in Jesus' name, it will be done. And we thank you, Lord, for healing in Charlotte's body right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.